Welcome to A Walk in My Stilettos, where our goal is to help you walk in your greatness. I'm your host, McKinney Smith. Hey, Faith Walkers. Thank you for joining us on the A Walk in My Stilettos podcast, where we have conversations with amazing women that are letting us step into their shoes. I help women to own their stories, conquer their fears so they can reach their goals. I get inspired when I see another woman succeeding, but what interests me more is her mindset and her backstory on how she got there. So today's guest is about to bless us with her testimony. And since you're already here, you may as well subscribe on all channels. Today we have Sheena Brady. She is a mother, a wife, the founder of Tea's Tea and a certified tea sommelier. Tea's tea are all natural, loose leaf tea blends that aren't just good for you. They're good for our planet. Sheena has grown this side hustle into a million dollar award winning company that serves customers in over 30 countries around the world. She's also the founder of the Founders Fund that gives women entrepreneurs access to funding, mentorship, resources to grow their business, and more, which I'm honored to be a part of. And Sheena has also been featured on CityLine, Rogers TV, The Social, and much more. So please welcome to the show, Sheena Brady. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much for saying yes and agreeing to come on and share your story with us. Oh, of course. I am a big fan of the work that you're doing. And so it's the the honor is just as much mine. Thank you. So I want the listeners to know that I first came across your story. I attended your launch event for the Founders Fund. I was invited by Kim, who I think is absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. And I heard you speak about why you started the Founders Fund and you spoke a little bit about your personal journey. And I said, I love her story. I have to have her on the podcast. So thank you. <laughs> Thank you for sharing a little bit of your story with us then. And I'm excited to hear more of it now. Yeah, absolutely. And that was such, that was truly validating when you came out to me and shared that feedback after, because that was the first time I had ever uh, told my personal story like that. And it's something that I tend to keep to myself, but I'm, I am realizing with the arena that I've chosen to step in to help support women entrepreneurs during uh, their journey to overcome barriers. It's important to share these stories because it might resonate with other people and, and and we're all in this together, essentially. And so I, I grew up um, with a bit of a complicated upbringing. I grew up in a single parent household. Um, we moved around a lot, my half sister and I and my mom. And basically, my mom and I kind of grew up together at the same time in a lot of ways. Like I grew mm-hmm. through childhood while she was going through adulthood. Like she had me at 17. And so it was, it was a really, it was a bit challenging to navigate at times. Although that all being said, I know she only ever did what was, you know, the best she could with what she knew and what she had. And, and to this day, she's, she's a huge role model in my life, of course, because of that. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, we had moved around a lot and didn't have a lot of money. And in fact, like if you chose to look at my family history and and translate that into data points, uh, technically, you know, there was a, a very low chance that I would have ever graduated high school, let alone go on to uh, go to college and graduate from college. And um, I, I, I did actually become uh, the first person in my family to not only receive a high school diploma, but to go to and, and graduate from college as well. Wow. Wow. I love that. And this is the thing you said that at the event, that was the first time sharing a part of your story like that. And this is why I do this show, because all of us have 
a story that can inspire somebody else. All of us have, you know, a part of our story that someone else can resonate with or learn from. And just hearing a piece of your story that day, I resonated with on such a deep level. You know, you just shared just now that your mom had you at 17. I had my first child at 17. Right. You know, you talk about succeeding against the odds, basically. And your story is my story. So (laughs) your story touched me. And I was like, yes, girl, we need to be friends. (laughs) I love that. And I love that it touched you. And I love that it's been, you know, putting myself out there and sharing that story has had this beautiful side effect of having, you know, a couple people share similar things, like maybe not necessarily exactly along the lines that you've shared, but just saying that they, they get it. Like once they've heard me explain why the Founders Fund is so important to me, given, you know, my upbringing and how that's played an influence in my life as an entrepreneur and where I am today, it just helps tie all the pieces together in terms of like why we are building this community, why it matters, and um, and that we're really all in this together. Mm-hmm. So I love to start the show with an icebreaker question. Mm-hmm. And I know we've already started to dive into your story. But I would actually really love to know, Sheena, do you know what your name means? Because we have all these different titles as women that we go by. And yeah. I feel like our name isn't given enough significance because our names have meaning. So every time right. someone says your name, they're affirming or declaring who the, who you are. Yeah. So <laughs> this is an interesting question. So when I was a little girl, well, actually, maybe it wasn't that little because I was, we had Google, so I couldn't have been that little. Um, but <laughs> I remember Googling what my name meant because I'd actually never asked my parents before. And so when you Google the name Sheena and its meaning, there's a few different variations. But um, the most common one is that essentially it comes from, and, and, and I'm not, I don't speak Hebrew, I'm not Jewish, um, but God's gracious gift is the most literal mm-hmm. translation. And so mm-hmm. when I went to my, uh, I actually went to my mom and I said, mom, like, is this why I was named Sheena? And she started laughing and I said, what's so funny? And she's like, if you want to know why you're named Sheena, you're going to have to go call your dad. And I was like, oh, this is weird. Okay. So then <laughs> I call my dad. I'm like, hey, dad, I'm just curious. Like, why, why am I named Sheena? And he said, oh, I can't believe this question's actually coming up now. And I said, what? Like, what's the big mystery behind my name? <laughs> and he was like, I was just in love with Sheena E. Easton, the singer in the 80s. And oh, so wow. that's it. There's no magic. There's no nothing. It was my punishment for being an 80s child. My dad's a musician. And that's why he named me Sheena Easton. Yeah. <laughs> or, sorry, Sheena, I love sorry, it. Easton. But yeah, I'm named after Easton. Do you know who that is? I do. I do. Oh, okay. I do. I, I love music. So I, I know who Sheila is. Mm-hmm. But I love that he named you after someone he loves. But <laughs> Going back to the origin of your name and the meaning of it. Yes, I had Googled it as well. And I was like, God is gracious. I mean, and you are such a gracious person. So it fits. Every time someone says your name, they're declaring that God is gracious. Yes, girl. Oh, I appreciate that. And and I've tried to own that a little bit over the years. Not just uh, being named after, you know, a (laughs) person. Own it. Yes. (laughs) So I would love to ask you, what did you want to be when you were a little girl? Yeah. So it's interesting that you brought up that talk because when I actually opened up the talk saying that when I was a little girl, I had no idea what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I, Mm -hmm. and I think it was because 
you know, even though, you know, my mom obviously did the best that she, she could, that whole quote, like, you can't be what you can't see. And mm-hmm. I didn't really have a lot of um, different role models in my life that could make me realize that I could aspire to be something bigger or greater. Um, mm-hmm. And so I never really knew what I wanted to be when I grew up. I loved singing as a kid and I still do now. I sing a lot. So I guess if I had to answer that question, um, I guess I always knew deep down that I wanted to be a singer of some sort. And mm-hmm. um, I guess I am a singer today because like I, I sing all the time to my two-year-old and she loves singing to me. And I just think singing is the most beautiful form of therapy in my life. And yeah, I sing in the shower, I sing in the car. I sing <laughs> her. So I might not be paid to sing, but I'm a singer. I love that. I wish I was blessed with vocal cords that sounded beautiful when I sang. I mean, <laughs> I only sing in the shower because then it, you know, the acoustics in there is amazing. But oh, yeah. I wish I had that gift. in the shower. Everyone's a rock star in the shower so okay so can you share more about your upbringing like what you shared at the the launch about your upbringing because that was such a a touching story to me yeah so I was sharing that um you know despite like having that complicated upbringing coming from you know very little to no money in fact I had watched my mom take the risk of opening a home salon only to struggle with bankruptcy not that long later and that moment had a profound impact on me in terms of like how I look at uh, risk in some ways because you know I had watched my mom put herself out there and and only to ultimately end up um, having her business closed and I remember when she open that salon and she took out the debt to open that salon. She struggled with bankruptcy to close it. And it gave me this like unhealthy idea of debt. Like I looked at all debt as bad and, um, Mm -hmm. How that ended up being a huge problem later on is that, you know, I thought I was always being a a good person by not taking out unessential debt. So, you know, no credit cards, nothing like that. Student loans, no, like I would avoid them if I could. And then when it came time to actually open my business uh, years later, um, that really was a huge uh, red mark against me because even though my credit was technically good, I didn't have a credit file to back it up. Like I had no track record. No history. Yeah. yeah, no history of demonstrated success to be able to prove that I, I could pay the loan back. And what's interesting is that even though that's my individual experience in developing the founders fund and learning about the barriers of like other women entrepreneurs around funding, that's actually quite common that women inherently Mm -hmm. tend to really avoid taking out non-essential debt. And so it it really ends up going against them uh, when they are trying to, to obtain capital for their business. And that's just like one of the many examples of like unconscious bias that exists against women um, in in, in the banking industry, for example. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that answered your question. Sorry. I kind of went, (laughs) Um, just sharing about more of your upbringing like you shared at the launch you know you told a very touching story and I also believe it was in connection with the parents of your husband I believe yeah so it was um actually no my high school sweetheart at the time so Mm -hmm. her name is Louise she's a 67 year old woman Incredible. And so when I say I graduated from high school and then went on to graduate from college, um, it's not necessarily because I was overly ambitious. I mean, I'd like to think I am now, but not at the time, certainly not at the time, especially looking at the environment that I was in. And so, you know, when I when I graduated from high school, my then high school sweetheart and I, like we would fantasize about like, hey, what college 
are we going to apply for? Like that sort of thing. But I actually knew my reality deep down that I couldn't afford to go to school and I wasn't going to take out loans because I saw what debt had done to my mother. And so I mm-hmm. thought, okay, I'm just going to take a year off, save some money and we'll see how this goes. Uh, and then maybe I'll go to school. But Louise, she wasn't having any of that. Like Louise was like, you're going to school. And Louise always made me feel safe and made me feel like I had a place to go when at times I honestly didn't feel like I did. And that's how I graduated high school. Cause I, it was like really important to me to like, you know, not only make my mom proud, but make her proud. I felt like in return, it's the least I can do for, you know, her inviting me to my home all the time and making me feel like I had a second mom in a lot of ways. And uh, she mm-hmm. treated me like, just as much like her daughter. And so when I graduated high school, she managed to find the means within her own family's limited budget to pay for my first year of education. And I was just absolutely floored. I, I couldn't wow. understand why somebody would invest in me like that. And when I asked her why, she just simply said, well, because why not you? I carry that with me like to this day. Like I carry <laughs> that attitude and that audacity. Um, and so I think like that's what's really kind of had me evolve as like a, you know, as a teenager into my adulthood, um, this, this audacity behind, because why not you? And, and so thanks to her investment in me, you know, I was able to not only go to like, go to my first year of school, but I was able to then save money for like my second year of education. And long story short, by the time I graduated, I was able to work in some worldly cities because I'd graduated in hospitality management. Um, I worked in leadership in, uh, in some beautiful hotels and restaurants in New York city, San Francisco, and then finally Toronto. And it really all started because that person made such like a profound investment in me, you know, not just from a financial standpoint, but just somebody saying like, I I believe in you. Why not you? You can do this. I love that for so many reasons, because the ripple effect of someone's kind heart, just caring and being generous and investing in you, not just financially, but, you know, in so many different ways, how that ripple effect has affected you today. Absolutely. And we'll 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 jump into, you know, the concept behind Founders Fund, but it's made you someone that invests in other people and helps show other people why not you. So mm-hmm. I love that. So I don't know Louise, but I am grateful for her as well. <laughs> <laughs> Same here. I'm so grateful for her. She, she's still a friend to this day. She really is. I love that. I yeah. love that. So before we jump into Founders Fund, I want you to share with us what inspired you to start Tea's Tea. So like I said, I graduated in hotel restaurant management and then was like working in some incredible cities. I was getting paid to do pretty well. To, I was getting paid pretty well to do what I was doing. And I thought, okay, this is going to be my forever career. And I thought, wow, like how lucky and privileged am I that I went to school, I became educated in this thing and I'm getting now paid for this thing that I went to school for. And despite that, it still felt incredibly unfulfilling, but I didn't know it was unfulfilling because when you're in your twenties, how do you know what's fulfilling or not until you've experienced both? Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's like a tough thing to, to know. And, and so at, at one point I just accepted it as, okay, maybe this is normal. Maybe this is how, how everybody feels going to work. Like they dread it and they just, mm-hmm. you know, can't like are, are, are counting like every minute that goes by and every hour that goes by. And maybe this is, this is normal. And I hate to say it, but like, unfortunately I think that is the reality for a lot of people, but I didn't know there was any other option at the time. And all I knew my reality was that I was working in a demanding industry, 60 to 70 hours a week, working nights, weekends, holidays, ultimately to make strangers happy, which is our guests. And um, as much as like, 
like I thought this was what I was going to do forever. Um, I sacrificed friendships and relationships and uh, because my work was so demanding. And um, at the height of my career, I was working at the Shangri-La Hotel in Toronto and they asked me to uh, build the biggest tea program in the city. And so tea to the Shangri-La Hotel was incredibly important the, for context. The Shangri-La is like the four seasons of Asia, you know, so mm. tea is really close to their hearts and uh, at the core of hospitality. And so, yeah, I, I was tasked with building the biggest tea program in the city. I had to source 75 different teas from around the world and not only source these teas, but I had to implement service standards. So I had to train the team like, you know, what happens if somebody comes in and wants a Japanese tea ceremony versus a Chinese tea ceremony versus how do the Russians enjoy their tea? How do British people enjoy their tea? Like I had to train wow. the tea. Yeah, I had to train, train the tea on how to do this, but I didn't even drink tea at the time. <laughs> Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. So again, why not me? Like, <laughs> you know, yeah, my knowledge can only go up from here, right? Because I, I literally knew nothing about tea. So I knew if I had to talk the talk, I had to walk the walk. And so I found the Tea and Herbal Association of Canada. Long story short, they represent the entire tea industry in the country from bush to cup. And I became educated about tea and then took an eight-month journey to become a tea sommelier. And what was really interesting is is one thing I forgot to mention, I was already a wine sommelier by this point because it was like a certification program that I had taken along my hospitality journey. And uh, so when I was studying to become a tea sommelier, I did not expect my passion and interest in wine to translate to tea. So mm. when you think about, yeah, like when you think about wine, for example, you have red grapes and white grapes. And from there, you have tons of varietals. So you have like Pinot Noir, Pinot Grigio, Champagne, Chardonnay, etc. The list goes on. With tea, a lot of people don't realize it's the exact same thing, that all tea comes from the exact same plant. But the difference mm. is how it's processed, how it's harvested, the soil conditions, the climate, the geography, it all affects what that final product ends up being. And so I thought, hey, this is really cool. This was a totally unexpected natural passion that sort of evolved because the nerdiness of wine that I was always into totally translated to the world <laughs> of tea. <laughs> yeah. And I always knew I had a bit of like an entrepreneurial like bug in me. And at that time I thought, well, it's obviously gonna be a lot easier to start a tea company than a wine company. So maybe I can start blending tea out of my tiny condo in Toronto. And so I found a tea supplier in Toronto. I had nothing but $500 in a Shopify store. Like that's how I got started in those early days. And I started just blending different teas for fun. It was really a creative outlet and it became this creative escape from a demanding industry that I was working in. So unfortunately at the time, but not so unfortunate looking back, I was I ended up being fired from that hotel because I think the misery finally ended up catching up with me. Um, mm -hmm. I think like my performance was fine. In fact, I know it was fine based on like the reviews that, you know, I was regularly having with um, my boss at the time, but I think over time people just sensed that I didn't really want to be there and I got let go. Uh, without cause technically. And I remember being so devastated because I was like, here I am. I just gave over 10 years of my life to this industry that made me feel mm -hmm. disposable in an instant. And mm -hmm. it was the worst feeling. It was close to rock bottom because my then boyfriend left me as well. Goodness. After, yeah. After a rocky relationship for four years, 
yeah, he had left me, cleared up the apartment. I had no job, an empty apartment. I didn't even have a bed to sleep on. Like I was sleeping on a hardwood floor until I could afford to get a bed. Wow. Yeah. So it was like pretty, uh, pretty dramatic times uh, looking back. And, um, but I still had this tea company and it wasn't much at the time. It was mostly just people that I knew that were making the occasional order online. But I thought, you know, I'm actually really interested in this, but my life is not working for me. I need to hit reset because I just screwed up another relationship. I screwed up my career. Like at this time, like I had a a not so positive relationship with both my parents. In fact, like I hadn't seen my dad in like close to 10 years at one point by that point. Wow. Yeah. So just nothing was working for me. I thought, okay, it's time to hit reset. And I think any logical person in my position who would have just gotten fired from um, a job would have said, okay, well, I still have 10 years of experience. Let me just get another job in the same industry. But I was like, no, like this, this led me in part to where I am today. So Mm -hmm. with that Shopify store, I thought, okay, what else can I do? And so I knew somebody who worked at Shopify and I said, hey, this is the only transferable skill I have is that I, I sell tea on Shopify. Not a lot of it, but I, I, I know the, the platform like reasonably well. Do you think you know, you're looking for anybody that, would, like, that could use someone like me? And he was like, you know what? You technically are kind of underqualified, but um, <laughs> there, is one, <laughs> there is one position that actually you might be a good fit for because we love to hire entrepreneurs and that's in, in support. And so Basically, what that meant was, you know, if you called the 1-800 number when you're having a problem with your Shopify website, uh, it was someone like me who would answer on the other end and would help you through that problem. So I was like tech support, basically. And so it was a very Mm entry-level job, and it was technically a big sacrifice in pay and, I guess, status if, you know, like, even though that wasn't super important at the time. But, like, I kind of really took a couple of steps back in my life in order to try and take a few steps forward. And... I thought, well, at least this job is remote and at least it's like a guaranteed amount of hours a week. Like I knew I was only ever going to work 40 hours a week so I could devote my nights and weekends to my side hustle, TST. I thought, okay, well, this might be perfect. And then I didn't realize until I was actually into the job. But as I was helping other merchants and entrepreneurs succeed, like with their stores in different ways, I was like, oh, if they can get through that, I can get through this too. And it became this wildly fulfilling job and motivating job. And it ended up creating like this cool ecosystem that like the more I helped our merchants succeed, the more I was able to learn and push myself to succeed. Mm-hmm. Shopify was, in my mind at the time, supposed to be a temporary stop on my journey uh, until I could afford to leave and, and you go to my business full time. But Shopify never made me feel even half a second that I needed to choose. And so here I am five years later, I'm still at Shopify. And as my company has continued to grow into you know a seven-figure business and a full-time team of two people and a couple other part-time people, I've grown in my career at Shopify and I, I now lead a team of uh, eight account managers. So I work in leadership at wow. Shopify. Yeah. I love that. I, I love that. Oh, wow. Okay. So I am connected to quite a few people that are uh, employees of Shopify, and I've heard nothing but good things about how they treat their employees. Oh, McKinney, we're drunk just on even the hearing Shopify. your story. Yeah, we're, we're drunk on the Shopify Kool-Aid all day, every day. It's crazy. People might think we're in a cult, but it is so true. We genuinely love our jobs. It just sounds like an amazing company to work for, honestly. If they're looking for anyone, my hand is up, okay? Amazing. 
we'll have let to me know. About that. I don't know what transferable yeah. skills I have, but let me know. Okay. Awesome. I love that. Okay. So how did you come up with the concept for the Founders Fund? Yeah. So I guess like to rewind a little bit with T's tea. So I knew that tea wasn't particularly unique. I knew I was going to be in a very, very crowded space. There's like, uh, well, at the time there's like a David's tea in every shopping mall. Um, so I thought, how can I make T's tea unique? And how, again, going back to this, my life isn't working for me. Like, how can I create more fulfillment and impact in my life? And I thought, well, let's just take what's important in my life and put it in my life's work. And so to do that, you know, I think growing up with some of the unique challenges that I had sharing earlier, I I just have it like inherently in my DNA. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs do actually this idea to want to pay their success forward. So I thought, okay, I'm going to have a give back program with TST. We've had a give back program since day one. We've been like a social enterprise before I even understood what that word meant. It was more Mm -hmm. so like, yeah, it was more like if I have extra money at the end of this month, like which charity can I give it to? Or if I don't have extra money, like, can I donate my time? Like that sort of thing. So, or can I donate product? Or it was always one of those three things. And our, our key differentiator was organizations that, uh, help empower women. And so every month I would choose a different organization. Now flash forward quite a few years later and bring us to 2019. I just wanted to get more intentional about what that give back meant because it's as we grew, it started to feel a bit transactional because it was like, how do you know where your money is going? So if you're giving money to different charities and organizations, like, you know, it's going to end up hopefully in a good place, but you don't actually know where specifically right who you're impacting and how. And so I thought I want an opportunity to tell this story better to our customers because it's their money at the end of the day that we're ultimately donating. So I thought, well, what's really important to me? Like, that's the question I always come back to. Like, what's important to me? What's meaningful? What's fulfilling? I thought, well, I, I just love helping other entrepreneurs, especially, you know, women entrepreneurs. And so I thought maybe I'll create a give back program, our own give back program. And for lack of better words, it's supposed to be like this small little contest, like nothing crazy, <laughs> be really small. And it was like this idea, like, can we pool together resources in the entrepreneurial community and help fund and provide mentorship to women identifying entrepreneurs that those women can then apply for? So that leads us to August 2019. And this give back program just, it blew up, like it blew up bigger than me, bigger than TST, like bigger than anything I could have ever imagined. And we called it the TST Founders Fund. And, you know, basically how it blew up is it was supposed to, again, like be this scrappy little contest sort of thing. And it turned into us being able to support over uh, 230 women across the country, gain access to mentorship and resources for their business. And then we were ultimately able to fund five businesses as well. And, you know, we reached 11 out of the 13 provinces and territories. Um, Mm. We had 40% identify as a woman of color. And I think like why that's an incredibly important data point is that representation matters so much. Yeah. Yeah, like it, it matters so much. And it's this idea that like, if we're here to support women entrepreneurs, we better damn well make sure that we're doing our due diligence to make sure that it looks like an accurate reflection of the Canadian landscape of women entrepreneurs. And Mm -hmm. so- we did that by making sure that the mentors that we curated and vetted that, you know, they represented the the entrepreneurs that we see in this country. And and that's why I think it really blew up bigger than TST, like bigger than what we ever imagined was because 
when we had all these mentors who are also entrepreneurs and funders who are also entrepreneurs coming together to pay their success forward, we all fundamentally, like I fundamentally believe have that in our DNA to want to pay it forward. And they were sharing it with their own networks, their own community. And it just, it just created this really cool ripple effect. And so finally, you know, when we had an opportunity to breathe and like get through all the applications and that wasn't easy because the applications, it wasn't about just saying, are you rejected for funding or are you approved? It was, we had a selection committee of 35 entrepreneurs and they were anonymous and they had to go through every single application and give feedback. Wow. So everybody got something out of it. Everybody got value. So even if you didn't get the funding at the end of the day, you had an established entrepreneur with eyes on your business that were identifying areas of blind, like areas of opportunity, identifying blind spots, identifying things that you're doing well, that maybe you're not giving yourself enough credit for. And so, yeah, we built it with intention. It blew up. People just got so much value out of it. And I thought, okay, I want to see where this goes. I really want to put more into it. But my people at TST are going to lose their mind because they have a tea company. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. So, because they were so great, they were just jumping in whenever possible and they're being scrappy and resourceful and and that's great. But if I wanted to make the Founders Fund something sustainable and and to be here for a long time, it became evident right away that we need to make it its own independent social enterprise. And so we built it as its own corporate structure as of, I think, September of this past year. So yeah, right before the launch party. And so now somehow the Founders Fund is Canada's first online growth accelerator with access to mentorship resources and funding for women identifying entrepreneurs. And, and that's where we're at today. And we are at, I, I think it. we have, thank you. We have over 350 members, which is great. And you're one of them, which is incredible. And um, <laughs> an amazing, amazing group of women. You. Thank you. Amazing mentors, that. everything about it. I'm, I love. Thank you. And so now we just decided, okay, you know, year one, it was this application thing. It was technically free to apply. How do we actually sell this in 2020 so that it can be a sustainable business that we can pay people to run it? And that's where we came up with the membership model. And so as you're aware, it's $225 for an annual membership. But what's really cool is that more than half of that membership goes directly towards the pool of funding. So Mm -hmm. it's this exclusive funding pool by entrepreneurs, for entrepreneurs. And when we talk about paying it forward, when we talk about investing in other people, we are trying to demonstrate that it really is never too early or too late to do that. And you can do it mm-hmm. by just so much as investing in a Founders Fund membership. I Thank love it. You. So anyone who is listening, if you, I don't even know if membership is still open, but you need to make sure that you get in next year if it's closed. It's an amazing community of women. You get access to mentorship and online resources and webinars and all kinds of things to help you grow and have a successful business. Thank you. Um, but you're mm-hmm. right. We, we do typically close it. Uh, like we open memberships for a certain period of time and then we close them and we'll reopen so- sometimes strategically. So what inspires you the most about what you do? When I first started to like put the dots together on how we could do this with the Founders Fund and do it successfully, I thought what was going to be the most fulfilling was being able to provide you know, the mentorship and resources and, and funding to entrepreneurs in a very accessible way. So regardless if you're in like rural Saskatchewan or downtown Toronto, you have the exact same access to the same resources as everybody else um, mm-hmm. for the full year. And I thought that was going to be the most fulfilling part. But as I have 
kind of gone through all of this, I'm realizing that the most fulfilling part are the meaningful connections that have are being built within the founders fund that have nothing to do with me. Mm-hmm. So meaning like the Slack community that you're in that um, all of our members have access to, they are learning from one another. There's resources being shared. Some of the peer mentor groups are like really taking off and some people are slowly developing, I hope, like lifelong friendships and peer mentors while navigating the chaos that is entrepreneurship. And so I think like that's incredibly fulfilling to me. I love that because I can totally see how that's happening because I had the opportunity to meet and connect with Como Minhas because of the Founders Fund. I've had her on the show as a guest. I love everything that she posts on social media, but I resonate with her because of the health challenges and our personal journeys behind being an entrepreneur and even in what we're doing currently with our podcast and how we're using our story to build community and to help others, you know, go through resilience. So you basically connected us. So I am grateful to you for that. I love that. Thank you. And that's (laughs) kind of like what I say to, what I try to say to people, like prospective members who are thinking of taking the plunge and becoming a member, but they're not really sure if it's right for them. I just say to them, like, look, it's a $225 investment. I know that's not nothing. However, if you manage to meet someone, whether it's a mentor or um, you know another member or a funder, if you manage to meet someone that saves you a two hundred and twenty-five dollar mistake or gives mm-hmm. you like an opportunity that's worth something that you can't even put a price on, mm-hmm. then that in itself is worth the investment in, in yourself. And so that's how I kind of look at it. People spend more money to attend a one-day conference. So it's definitely worth the investment. Definitely. Most definitely. That's great to hear. I appreciate that. (laughs) No problem. So what advice would you give to a woman regarding embracing her full potential? For a woman who's embracing her full potential, I would say don't worry about problems that don't exist yet. I think that that's probably one of the biggest life lessons that I've learned, uh, not just in business, but in life is that we, we tend to bog ourselves down in almost like analysis paralysis. But when we Mm -hmm. look at opportunities, like, is, you know, is this going to be a huge risk? Well, what about this? Well, what about that? It's like, well, what if isn't here yet? All that's here Mm -hmm. is what's in front of you right now. And yeah, maybe you're going to run into some wild complications along the way, whatever your situation is, but don't worry about problems that don't exist yet because that is time better spent on actually getting you closer to reaching your potential. So I just say, dive in and figure the rest out as you go. I totally agree with you because I mean, if we think about how many things we worry about in a day, how many of those things percentage wise actually happen? Like right. zero. Yeah. <laughs> and All even the in the what worst, is. exactly. And even in the worst possible outcome that you can tell yourself, you could probably also manage to tell yourself how you're going to get out of it and be okay. Our minds are liars. So yes. we, have to, we have to prove them wrong. The amount of lies that our minds seem to tell us, but we have to gain control. And like you said, you know, stop all the what ifs. I love that. Thank you. Thanks. So what is one thing that most people don't know about Sheena? I think one of the biggest things that most people don't know about me is that I'm not as busy as people think I am, if that makes sense. I think I unintentionally give this persona that I am some superhero because I am a mom and I am a wife and I have two businesses and I have a full-time career. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I do all of that and it's a lot. But 
I also have become very intentional about not doing things that don't serve me again. Mm -hmm. So you will rarely find me working after 5 p.m. any night of the week. I just won't. If I don't absolutely have to, I will not. That's an important time for just my family and my husband. And most importantly, to just like zone my brain out because, you know, the the day is already chaotic enough. I don't need to bring that with me into the evening. I I don't do as much as people think I do, but I set myself up with an incredible support system to make it happen. I find that very interesting. I had another guest. uh, Her name's Arian Long. So she is um, the CEO of Femly, which is like a natural and eco-friendly feminine care brand Mm -hmm. that um, she started because, you know, she had developed cysts and all kinds of things from menstrual products. So she Mm -hmm. created a more natural product. But I had asked her the same question. I think it was episode 69. And she had the exact same answer to you. You know, she's not as busy as people would assume she mm-hmm. is. And you would think that women like yourselves who have multiple businesses and you're into philanthropy and you're married, and you have children, that you would be. But you guys have created this balance and you have such amazing support systems yeah. that you're not as busy as people would think. So it's actually very beautiful to hear and encouraging for anyone listening who feels like, oh my God, because there's a lot of people who are actually afraid of success because they're like, well, what does that mean for my life? What is my right. life going to look like? Am I going to be able to manage? But you guys are sharing that once you have a support system and you set boundaries and you have some form of balance for yourself, whatever that looks like for you, you're not actually as busy as people would assume. I love that. Thank you. I I agree. And one of our members said a great at a panel that we did in Ottawa not long ago, but a panelist was saying this idea of like work-life balance and everything. And this member challenged uh, this panelist and she said, you know, I I really don't subscribe to the idea of work-life balance. I subscribe to the idea of life harmony. You don't need to separate work and life as these two separate things and figure out how to balance them. Like work is part of your life and life is a part of work. So it's just life harmony. And like that kind of resonated with me. That was just a few weeks ago, but that's really kind of all it comes down to. So like on Sundays, don't get me wrong. I am working for a couple hours. Like I work every Sunday for a couple hours because I need that for my own mental stability and sanity, truth be told, because Mm -hmm. I feel like I can be organized for the rest of the week. So it's like those three hours on a Sunday might sound like a sacrifice, but they set me up for incredible success for the next five days. So it's like a non-negotiable thing that I do. Husband is on baby duty, like no questions no buts about it. Like, you just know, <laughs> right? um, but then that helps. That, that's just one example of how I create that, that harmony. I don't feel like I have to work on the evenings. I don't feel like I have to work on Saturdays and I can thoughtfully on that Sunday with zero distractions, look at my calendar. I set up tripwires for myself and I look at my calendar and I say, do I actually need to go to this meeting? Is there somebody right. else that can do this just as well as me? I will delegate thoughtfully to that person. So just just things like that, I think are incredibly important. And and yeah, no, I'm not nearly as busy as I think most people think I am, for sure. (laughs) I love the term life harmony. So for the past 10 years, I've created this life harmony balance for myself. And a lot of times when I'm, especially on panels where people are asking as a mom and entrepreneur, how I'm able to balance things, my formula, it includes a lot of efforts. Um, <laughs> not, not the ones you would think. Okay. <laughs> I like that at first. So <laughs> but uh, so number one for me is faith. So priority in my schedule is my faith, you know, my time to pray and to meditate and to go to church and, you know, Bible study and those things, because my relationship with God is what keeps me sane. And I'm grateful 
that I have this life. So that's very important to me. And then comes family. So then I schedule in the time that I have to drop my son to and from school or after school activities or things like that, anything to do with the kids' activities. And then comes finance, which is business. So then because I'm an entrepreneur and I've been an entrepreneur for like 11 years, my schedule can be all over the place. But once I've already scheduled in my faith time and my family time, the slots in between is where I can set up my clients or events that I need to go to or speak at or anything like that. And then the other F words is where I fit in friends and fun. Mm, I love that. And when I prioritize them that way, it helps me because I'm, I feel like in order of, I'm going to say, importance for my life harmony, that mm-hmm. formula works to help me keep balance for myself. That's incredible. I love that. And I think like you've kind of, there's some parallels there with me as well. So, you know, I'm not a practicing Catholic, so on the note of faith, but what I hear you say, like when you show that birth part, like that's your first non-negotiable, it's you yeah. investing in yourself first before Mm -hmm. anybody else so that you can better Mm -hmm. serve the people around you. Um, and and so that, like, that is so, that rings true to me as well. Like I, I get up early intentionally before my daughter, which sometimes is very painfully early. Sometimes I'm up at like five (laughs) thirty in the morning. Um, but Mm -hmm. it is so critical because I need that one hour a day just for me, whether that's a moment of mindfulness to read, to fill my own cup so that I can like fill the cup of others. So yeah, I I couldn't agree more. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. Well, you can't pour from an empty cup, right? Exactly. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier about being able to really succeed against the odds. So what other adversities have you had to experience to get to where you are today, whether that be personal or business? Yeah, I was in a really unhealthy relationship for about four years in my 20s. And like, I I was really good friends with someone. And I thought logically, like, oh, this person's such a great friend. We are both into like food and wine and hospitality. It's only logical that we date. Because I didn't know any better. I was like 22 at the time. And so we started dating and I immediately regretted it. And I was like, no, this feels like my roommate. You know what I mean? Like it just, it didn't, Mm -hmm. there wasn't like a genuine connection in in terms of like what you'd look for in in a partner. But I dragged that out too long because I think similar to the hospitality analogy, I thought, well, maybe this is just how it's supposed to be. Maybe this is just how it's supposed to feel like working in this industry or being in a relationship, maybe being in a relationship, this is normal. And I, cause I didn't really have a lot to compare it to. And so Mm -hmm. I dragged out a very unhealthy relationship for about four years and um, I won't go into like too many details, but like this person was not very good for me and I probably was reciprocating in a way that wasn't good for them either. And so it just became this like back and forth toxic relationship. And, you know, we at one point lived together in California and we were both working in the hospitality industry and, you know, we got into like a huge fight about something. And, and I come from like deeply rooted abandonment issues, like from mm-hmm. just from, from challenges, like growing up and this person knew that. And, and so just to, to kind of paint the picture of like the extent of how damaging the relationship was, you know, I thought at one point we actually decided like, we're going to go move to Toronto together. So from California, we were, we had this big road trip plan to like drive across the country together and move all of our things. And instead of driving across the country, the day of, he literally just dropped me off at the side of the San Francisco airport with a carry on and my dog and said, you're not coming. The oh, rest of the way. We're wow. Over. Yeah. And like this person waited until I had 
forfeited my work visa, until I had forfeited the lease on my apartment, on our apartment rather. So I had no job, no That's place cool. to live. Yeah, I literally had nothing. And was I perfect in that relationship? Absolutely not. But is that something that you should do to any human being? Absolutely no. not. And so I think like that was a wild adversity that I went through, how old would I have been? Like 24 maybe. And so that time I was like, I've started over so many times in my life. It seems like I've mm-hmm. lost count, but, but that mm-hmm. was, that was a big one. Cause I was jobless. I was homeless. I had nothing. And, and I basically just like cried on my mother's couch for two weeks before I dusted myself off. And again, like keep in mind, like this was when I worked in the middle of hospitality. And so I didn't really have a great relationship with my mom at the time for various reasons. So even that was really out of my comfort zone to seek her in that time. Yeah, that was an awful thing to go through. And, and I, I kind of had to reinvent myself at, at that age. Wow. I think that there was a, something that you said that I think is very important for people to take note of and to hear is that you started over more times than you can count. And yeah. that is a very common theme among a lot of the successful women that I have interviewed on this show. And a common theme with a lot of the women that I coach is that they're afraid to fail. And it's like, well, <laughs> failure has to happen in there. Somewhere. It has to happen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I'm, I'm grateful that you shared that piece because it's not a bad thing to start over. It's not a bad thing to pivot. As we evolve as people, there will be different directions that we have to take. And as our experiences happen in life and a lot of them may be painful and I'm going to say unnecessary, but they're there for us to learn certain lessons and learn certain skills so that we can be the people that we are today. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. Have you had any coaches or mentors that have helped you along the way? to make things easier? Definitely. I like I peer, I would be nothing without my own peer mentors, to be honest. So I have one in business who started business at the same time as me. So Gregory McDonald, who's the founder of uh, Bithorium. Fun fact, we actually like worked at the same hotel together in Toronto. We got fired from the same hotel at different times, <laughs> um, started our businesses. We both now work at Shopify while running our business. Um, so a lot of interesting parallels. <laughs> so I, I think it's really important to have people in your community that understand the challenges that you're going through that few people do. And so he is definitely one of those. And um, my husband, my husband's like my rock, honestly, we are very different people. Like we're so different. Most people Mm -hmm. probably wonder like why we're together, but it's exactly why we're together. And, um, (laughs) you know, and I I thrive on chaos. I thrive on change. I, I take risks all the time. And he's very calculated, very intentional. And I think we both balance each other out incredibly well. And and most importantly, he's wildly supportive of what I do. And we have shared successes. Like I moved in with him, like, I guess it would have been like just over five years ago now. Again, like it was during that time where like I had lost my job at the Shangri-La and I had only started like I hadn't even worked at Shopify yet at that point. So I moved in with him with no job or anything. And so he's just we have shared success. And mm-hmm. he was like my first employee at TST. Um, he quit yeah. his, his amazing job in the government to support my dream. And he since wow. has gone, yeah, he since has gone on to like have his own business thrive. He's a huge, huge part of, of uh, yeah. I love that. I'm a lover of love. So I I love a good love story. (laughs) So thank you for sharing that with me. Of course. (laughs) So with everything that you do and all these different hats that you wear, what does your self-care routine look like? So I drink a lot of tea, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Like a lot. And I, I swear that's really kept me 
very healthy in a lot of ways. Just tea is so good for you for many different reasons, depending on what you're drinking and when. And I, I firmly believe however you're feeling, there's always a tea for that. I go to bed pretty early. Like I'm in bed at 8.39 most nights. It's oh, important. wow. Yeah. And um, I try to get up around 536. So that's why I go to bed early. And self-care for me means a lot of bubble baths. Like I have my best moments of regrouping and re-energizing in the bath, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Um, It's time for me without distraction and chaos. And I I say like those things are are really big. Only in the last couple months, I've gotten into yoga. And that has been incredible. Not just dealing with physical pain after like having my daughter two years ago. Yeah, I just didn't realize how healing of a practice it can be. And so I'm really getting, getting a lot of life out of yoga. So there's this article that I came across on Reader's Digest, and I've been asking every woman that has come on the show. So I've been asked that 80 plus times I've asked this question, and it's been on point so far. So let's see where it is today. But it's an article that says that your favorite type of shoe says a lot about your personality. So I would love to know, Sheena, what is your favorite type of shoe? Is it like a high heel boot, running shoe, a flip flop, a stiletto, a clog, I don't know, wedge, mule, flat? (laughs) <laughs> I don't even have to think about it. It's I, I'm obsessed with Christian Louboutins. Like they, mm-hmm. I'm just obsessed <laughs> with them. Um, can I afford them all the time? No. What they symbolize for me personally uh, is probably why I love them so much. Like I think they embody both femininity, power, and beauty all in one shoe. I just love them. And I never get to wear them, especially in mom life. But I have one. <laughs> I have. I do have like a special pair that I get to wear on occasion. And in fact, I'm due to purchase a second pair because it's part of my milestone gift. Like I told myself when I reach a certain milestone with my business, mm-hmm. I would reward myself with a second pair. So as vain as that awesome. sounds, it's more about what they mean than anything. So yeah. Okay. Women who wear flashy stilettos like Jimmy Choo's and Christian Louboutins or other heels inspired by their aesthetics may seem materialistic, but these women are actually incredibly hardworking. They have major, <laughs> major drive, determination, and standout work ethic. This is someone who says yes before she says no. She's very willing and very open to possibilities. She also really loves and values beauty, so she surrounds herself with beauty, whether it be in things, people, or how she lives. It doesn't always have to be expensive. It just has to be pleasing to the eye. Oh, okay. Can you send that to me? That that actually sounds like it was written for me. I love it. That's amazing. I love it. Every woman that has come on the show is like, send me that. That's so cool. That is totally me to a team. My husband will have a good laugh when he hears that. I love it. I love it. Okay. So before we go to the final segment, can you just tell everyone where they can stay connected with you online? Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, you can uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. It's Sheena Brady, of course. Uh, On Instagram, I'm also at Sheena Brady with two Y's at the end. But uh, yeah, I'd be happy to stay connected. And of course, be sure to check out the Founders Fund on Instagram if you're interested in learning more about becoming a member. Awesome. And I will have direct links in the details section of your episode so they can just click and connect with you without having to search too far. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much, Mikini. It was such a pleasure Mm -hmm. to be here today. No problem. No problem. So the final segment, it's almost like a rapid fire, but I seem to ask more questions. So it's not, don't feel like you have to like jump off, you know, the top of your head with an answer, but I call it a walk in her wisdom. I just ask reflection questions and you share the first thing that comes to mind. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Name a book that has changed or greatly impacted your life. Atomic Habits by James Clear. Can I ask why? 
yeah, it's just this whole theory of being 1% better every single day and how that incremental growth can create massive long-term success versus putting this pressure on yourself to reach a goal without thinking about the systems behind it. So our goals are nothing if we don't have the systems behind it, basically, is the philosophy behind the book. Love it. Name one of the most worthwhile investments you've ever made, and that could be money, time, energy. The most worthwhile investments I ever made, definitely with my business, with TST, for sure. Awesome. How has being a mother changed your life? Oh, it's made me incredibly patient, first and foremost. (laughs) When you have a toddler that just like thrives in irrational chaos, you learn to become incredibly patient. So I would say like that, that's a big one. And I think I appreciate the small moments a lot more now that I'm a parent too, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. Okay. What do you wish women would do more of? Going for it. And like we said earlier, saying, why not me? Just going after it. Love it. Okay. And last but not least, if you could have a gigantic billboard anywhere with anything on it, what would it say and why? I would just have a billboard that says, why not you? I know this sounds cheesy, but I find them, like I, I really believe that, especially just because when we talk about the confidence barrier that exists with women, if there's anything I've learned with building the Founders Fund, it's exactly that. It's like been so tough to break through that barrier, you know, even convincing some women to become mentors who feel like they're not adequate enough. And it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's incredibly shocking. Like I knew it existed, but I didn't know how real it was until I was in the trenches with it. And like there's studies that show that, you know, you probably heard this before, but you know, man needs to feel like he has 60% of the qualifications of a job to apply, but a woman needs mm-hmm. to feel like they have a hundred. And the sad irony is that even though women are less likely to apply for jobs, they're actually more likely to get hired. So it's like, get out there. Like, why not you? Like you have just as good of a chance as anyone. I love that. Uh, <laughs> I mentioned this probably almost every other episode, but Vivian Kay, who's, I believe she's one of the mentors for the founders yes. fund. She is. Um, so uh, <laughs> she was one of, I'm going to say, probably the first 10 people that I interviewed for this show. But her saying of what witch had do, yeah, I exactly. absolutely love. And for those listening that have never heard it before, so she has a saying, what witch had do, because a lot of women of color and just women in general, like Sheena was saying, you know, we don't go after a lot of these opportunities because we don't feel like we're qualified. But Chad, who may only have 60% of the qualifications will go after it anyway and most yeah. likely get it because he went for it and he asked for it. So when in and doubt, kudos to Chad. just ask. There's, yeah, yes. and there's nothing wrong with Chad. We should all be exactly. like Chad. That's it. Exactly. That is why it's what would Chad do? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Think about it. Chad would go after it, so you should go after it too. Yeah, Chad's my favorite character. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Sheena, for taking the time to join us. You have no idea how much I appreciate you. And we have so much to talk about after this recording. So thank you for sharing all of your wisdom with us today. My pleasure. (laughs) Thank you again, Makini. It's great to be here. Thank you. And to all of you faith walkers out there, until next time, subscribe on all platforms, rate the show, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Join the community of faith walkers and sign up for our weekly newsletter at awalkinmystilettos.com and be sure to grab one of my personal development books available online everywhere. And if you can think of one person that would receive value from Sheena's story, please share this episode with them. Share it with a friend that needs to hear her testimony. Screenshot this week's episode and tag us on Instagram. I'm at the real McKinney Smith and Sheena at Sheena Brady and continue to walk in greatness in your stilettos in a manner worthy of your calling.